dead too? Who? The boy, Jason. Jason? Welcome to UpcomingHorrorMovie.com's UHM Podcast. This is a special presentation with coverage of all of the Friday the 13th films. Okay, folks, welcome, welcome. We're back for the UHM Podcast, and uh, this is a special one we have here. We're going to do... The intercontinental, the greatest intercontinental horror podcast of all time. We're hitting three continents today, and um, we're gonna have a big, big group of uh, people to discuss all kinds of horror movies. And by all kinds, I mean just the Friday the Thirteenths. So there's not really a lot of diversity going on in the movies, but we're gonna have diversity in our discussion. Um, so before we really get started, um, I wanted to give a couple shout-outs. To uh, some of the UHM members, including Tactical Bacon, uh, McCready, or George Pastore, uh, Mike Whittemore, who's with us, and Chris Robert. All of them donated to the UHM podcast and are helping get us a uh, upgraded SoundCloud account so we can keep all our old episodes on there instead of deleting them as we come as we come across. So yeah, big thanks to you guys out there and big shout outs. So our guest for today, myself, obviously I'll be your host, Ryan Tudelo. Uh, UHM Street Fighter, which I, I'm, I'm, get, I'm getting pretty tired of that name. I should probably change it on the site or something. You could do that for me, right, Fright? Yeah, but you've had it for so long, you know. I know, but it's like, I hate it. Like, I even from the day I had it, I only have it because of, like, Yahoo back in uh, 1995 when I made it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, other than that, I'm uh, UHM's resident engineer and all-around horror nut, and I'll be your host for today. And joining me again is my co-host... The mighty Brit, uh, Mr. Shane Smith. Ratings all. Um, yeah, I'm Shane, obviously. The only, the only Brit in the village. Um, the only goth in the village. Uh, otherwise known as Dead Cell Society on UHM. And also joining us is returning from episode one, the creator, the head honcho, the overall king of UHM, Mr. Mike Wilbur. Yes, hello. Also known as Friedmaster, Friday. Or just fright. Yeah, you might you might hear uh, myself or some of the other guys refer to him as fright, uh, because both him and our next guest, Mr. Mike Whitmore, both have the same name, Mike, and the last name starting with W. So sometimes it's easier to call them by their screen names. Uh, speaking of Mike Whitmore, he, um, he's the creator of UHM's Netflix Spotlight, and he was our most recent guest on our Hellraiser episode that got I think the most views of all the UHM podcast we've had so far that's awesome uh yeah i think i had some this is uh my put... uh, it was fun um yeah netflix spotlight i'll probably be doing again soon but uh yeah i'm uh i'm from the mean streets of chicago and i'm looking forward to talking about some friday the 13th excellent and uh finally joining us the often debated and always controversial everybody's favorite uhm member count orlock or as he likes to go by david hello david Yes, thank 
Thank you. It's good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Uh, now, David, wh uh, where are you from? Just so people hear your uh, amazing accent. Um, well, I'm I'm uh, currently in Tasmania. Um, if you know where that is, island underneath Australia, and yep. it's cold as hell right now. And yeah, and um, I I post. I'm, I'm a big film fan and a big horror fan, of course. Um, what you said about controversial, I, I just, and that's it. I don't try to be controversial. So, yeah. No, I got you. You might not try, but your your our discussions always seem to 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 lead to more people joining in. You know what I mean? It's it's always entertaining. I that's just speak my mind. That's all. Oh yeah, that's why I wanted to have you on here because I knew you would. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll try my best then. That's all we can ask. Anyway, we got a great show lined up. We're going to try to cover all the Friday the 13th, and as will probably happen, this will be a multi-part episode. I'm imagining I can't see us getting through all of them in about an hour, so we're probably going to be here for a little while. But we'll split it up, and uh, you guys are probably listening to this on Friday the 13th, because that's when I plan on releasing it. So happy Friday the 13th, everyone. Hey! Hooray! Yeah. <laughs> all right. Let's uh, let's get started. Um, the way we're going to sort of work this is each of us is going to lead the discussion on uh, a few of the films. Those have been pre-selected. And uh, a couple other people are going to have sort of a commentary and, and sort of, you know, go back and forth in a discussion with the, with the leader, I guess you'd say. Um, so we're going to bounce around. Um, the first one's going to be led by David. But um, I'll just do a little brief introduction on our first movie. The first movie's Friday the 13th, obviously. It had a $550,000 American budget, was shot in New Jersey, released on May 9th, 1980, and made about $39 million in the box office. Um, and obviously it spawned um, like a billion sequels, and we'll try to hit all of them today. So David, what do you have for us on the first Friday the 13th? And um, he was directed by, uh, he was producer of Last House on the Left. He also directed a soft call Paul and some uh, family comedy. He, he directed a lot of stuff. Deep Star 6 is another one that I like of his. Hey, David, you're, you're, you're cutting out a little bit, Dave. You left off, you're we talking Sean Cunningham was the director, and he originally had the name before he had the movie, and he just put the name in a, a variety ad, right? Yeah. He, he, yeah, he took it out of one-page ad to raise money for it, and this is a big studio film. Anyway, I'll just, I'll just go straight into the plot. Um, so it started in 1958. Okay, hang on. I lost, sorry, I lost my train of thought. No, that's okay. Okay, so the singing around the campfire... Let's just go. It goes straight to the the title sequence. Okay, Friday, and uh, you get the brilliant score by Harry Manfredini, which is mm -hmm. kind of like a, a bit of a riff on Psycho and the Jaws. Yeah, it it's also one of the most memorable sort of all time. I mean, you hear that score at least. A oh yeah, so the Kiki Kiki Mama movies. Score, yeah. Um, so then it opens up. You get uh, Crazy Ralph. Played by the brilliant uh, Walt Gorney. That's a great, you know, you're all doomed. 
Yeah, right. The uh, you introduce to the, the cast of the movie. You get the final girl. Um, it's kind of like a Jamie Lee Curtis type character. Um, you get the practical Joker. Of course, Kevin Bacon is in it. Who like, I hate Kevin Bacon. You hate Kevin Bacon? <laughs> Come on, man. That's like the greatest full frontal male nude actor there is. Yeah. <laughs> I only like him in this movie, but I'm not a fan. Not a fan. Oh, that's too bad. So, we'll be, basically, we have a bit of a mystery set up because it, it sets up red herrings here and there. You got you don't know who the killer is, you see. At the start, I mean, you did see POV a bit like Halloween where you see two camp councillors murdered. So it does throw around a bit of a mystery thriller. So you get that. But, uh, so it's not exactly like a straight-up slasher, what the sequels right, are. Right, right, but they, they do sort of heavily imply, if I remember that, that Ralph is sort of really sus the suspicious one, and the cops are like, oh, that's crazy, Ralph coming down here, and he's probably messing with you kids, right? Or was that the second I was thinking yeah, of? Yeah, that's right, yeah, he had herring, yeah. Uh, they, they also do another red herring with the, the Jeep that uh, Christy drives, and the same Jeep is used by Mrs. Voorhees. So anyway, uh, leading up to that, you get the, the first uh, kill in the movie, Psycho, with the Marion character. You get introduced to her starting off, um, gets killed off, effects by Tom Savini. But I think all these characters are really likable. I don't, um, unlike some of the sequels, because they're, they're portrayed fairly realistically as camp counselors. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, so yeah, you got the practical Joker pretending to drown, just like down, and you get you know a lot of good POV shots, which on heaps of other movies. So nothing really original here, but th um, this is this is a classic. Friday Thirteenth, just a genre, but it's not the greatest movie of all time, obviously. But I still enjoy it a lot. But anyway, yeah. going for Crazy Ralph characters is Clinton. I guess in the nightfall, um, you get the great storm. You know, you have the sex scene with Kevin Bacon right. and his girl, and have to have nudity. Yeah. After that, of course, they're drinking, smoking weed. Uh, not that it's like some kind of... It's not really intended as a morality play, but you can read that into it. Mm -hmm. After that scene, you get the classic, is the arrow through the throat kill. Mrs. Voorhees hiding under the bed, although you don't know it's Mrs. Voorhees yet. Yeah, the girl gets axed through the face, pretty much one one thing leads to another. Um, all of the rest of them get dispatched until you've only got one left. The final girl, Alice, played by Adrian King, she discovers everyone's dead. And then the last person to show up is Betsy Palmer, so I mean, who else could it be? doing all right. the killing. Yes, they sort of played all their cards till that point. That's right. That's right. Really great in this. And just all these films pretty much follow the same formula. You have a long fight scene between the final girl and Jason. After that fight, eventually the final girl wins. It's uh, She hides in a closet. You have a bit of a shining just down the door. <laughs> and... After that, after that, there's a tussle on the lights, Mrs. Voorhees, which is nice. And then 
They're actually going to end it there, but they decided that they would give the last scare for the audience. Right. So, so Tom Savini uh, made up the idea. I'll, I'll create a mongoloid like makeup thing for Jason. So that's pretty much what created Jason, not on paper. But yeah, Tom Savini created the iconic look, and that was never meant to be alive in this movie. He was always meant to be dead. The killer, right? And that's it, right? And Tom, so, Tom Savini, obviously being the special effects guru, um, you know, sort of the grandmaster. He was the master. He, he worked on Dawn of the Dead, yeah, and he's done uh, heaps of movies. So I think all for um, yeah, Jason being re- resurrected for the sequel. Yeah, Part Four was the only other one I think he did. True. Yes, he didn't work on the sequel because Jason was supposed to be dead. Right. Yeah. Overall, I like it. I think. Despite not having a lot of people don't like because it, it doesn't have Jay think that it's, it's a it's a good movie. Old fashioned scares. It's just like a roller coaster ride. Have a good, it's a good movie. Yeah, I agree. Um, so what you're saying at the end at the end of the movie, David, when uh, Jason pops up, um, a, lo- a lot of people compare that to sort of carry uh, the final scare, that one last grab to get the audience before they walk out of the theater. And I think that's really um, that's really what Cunningham was going for at the end of the movie. He was trying to get that last jab out of them before they before they get out of their seats, you know. Yeah, it was mentioned. I think it was mentioned by Savini or maybe Cunningham, but they they said they, they watched Carrie that because it wasn't Victor Miller didn't put that in the script. Um, it was just you know, Jason was supposed to be dead, and Mrs. Voorhees dead, and that's it. No sequel. But they did hint yeah, at right, a sequel. Obviously. But yeah, overall, uh, I mean, I didn't see the film when it came out, but um, I discovered it uh, after I watched Freddy vs. Jason and saw the uncut. I've never seen it cut. I know that they cut stuff out. I've seen that version, so cut, and most versions you can get now, so... Right. Well, you didn't yeah. see this until Freddy vs. Jason? Uh, I wasn't... I didn't grow up being a big Friday the 13th. Fan. I I might have seen it before then, I can't remember, but no, Freddy vs. Jason came out. Yeah, wow, that, that's in, that's interesting, because I know you're probably around the same age that I am, and I mean, like, I, I sort of grew up on this movie, like, I, this was one of the movies that when I was, like, seven or eight, I was watching at my grandma's house, when I probably shouldn't have been. Yeah, I was more into, like, Aliens and, I guess, the Alien movies than Friday the 13th. I don't know. Gotcha. Shane, are you still there? I am, yes. <laughs> yeah, he's he's just... in the toilet, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not that bad. I, I was <laughs> I just had people messaging me on Facebook on the other on, on the phone, so I'm listening to you guys and I'm trying to um, message people at the same time. <laughs> but yeah yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> Well, I was, I was asking you because you might have... Were you old enough to go see this in theaters when it came out? What, Friday the 13th? Yeah. I would have been six. So that, that'd be a no. That'd be a no. <laughs> hey, I'm not that old. Um, no, it was... Yeah, 1980, I was six, but I had... Um, my older sister and brother went to see it. Yeah, that was... Ooh. Actually, I do vaguely remember them going to see it and all coming back and saying how good it was. That was 36 years ago, dude. So, that's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> now refresh refresh my memory because I don't I don't remember the list so much. Was this on one of the video nasties lists, or was it was it um, considered tame enough that it didn't need to be? Um, no, this was never on one of the UK video nasties lists, um, okay. from what I can remember. I think it might have been the sequel though. Because I was reading a, um, <clears throat> there's a great I don't think any of them were on the video nasties. Yeah, I'm not sure on that. No, uh, none right, of them were on right. video nasties. There was, a, there was a great quote from Sean Cunningham um, about the first one. And he says, when we did the TV version of the film the first Friday, I had to, all I had to cut out was approximately 22 seconds of it. And that's for the American TV version. The anticipation right. is what triggers the horror, and when you see those 22 seconds, it's a mindfuck. Ultimately, gore is very numbing, and I strongly dispute the dramatic effect of it. In my opinion, you just touch it, just enough to make you blink, and then it's got to be gone. The impression is there. Psycho is tame by today's standards, but that ambiguous figure behind the shower curtain still haunts you today. I thought that was a great quote, and it sort of really speaks to the yeah. original Friday the 13th. Because honestly, even like you were saying, David, in the uncut version, there's like two or three little bits. You know what I mean? They're like minor scenes, yeah, like when thing. Mrs. Voorhees' yeah. head comes off. There's very little blood at all. It's, there's no gore. So, I mean, I don't know what the critics were talking about. Like, you have Ebert going on. You know, Ebert, what is it? Ebert and the other guy. I can't remember his back name. Then, Siskel, back then it was Siskel and Siskel. Ebert. Yeah. Yeah, Siskel and going on publishing Betsy Palmer's address and all that. When really you watch it today, it is, it's just tame as hell compared to the, some of the stuff they release nowadays. Even compared really to the other films in the series, it's, it's very tame. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the guy, yeah, he posted up Betsy Palmer's, um, or he thought he'd posted up her address. When in fact it actually posted up the wrong address. <laughs> yeah, because Betsy Palmer being in this, she was like a big, she was a big television actor. I think like in the fifties and sixties. Yeah, she was television and um, she was tele TV and a theatre actress. Right. Um, and this was the first film she'd done for about twenty-one years. So she, she was the biggest name draw to the movie too. She was the yeah, one they put on the marquee. Yes, and uh, even though she's got the biggest, um, she has the biggest name, um, or she is the biggest name in the film, she only actually has 13 minutes of screen time um, in the entire film itself. Yeah, and, it, and it's, all, it's all in the last part of the film. I mean, she's not, is she even in the film in the beginning? I don't even remember that at all. Um, I think, oh no. God, I can't remember. No, she only shows up at the end. Yeah, yeah, sort of out of nowhere. You're like, who is this? And she's like, oh, no, don't worry, I'm friends with the Christies. Hmm. But even even so, it doesn't really follow the mystery format. Most is more like it does it, although it does have a little bit of mystery. There's few red herrings thrown around. Yeah, ultimately, it's not like a who done it thing. There's not really a way to figure out, you know, to figure it out throughout the movie. You know what I mean? It's not like a classic giallo where you can, if you if you you piece the, put the pieces together towards the end, and you're like, oh, that's who that person is. Now I got it. And this, she just shows up at the end. She's like, nope, it was me. But yeah, I mean, I mean there's uh, some some interesting tidbits of information about Petsy Palmer um, in regards to the film. Because of her being a theatre actress, she's she was more used to actually slapping people on in the face when it was called for. And the way she did it was she would cut her hand so it, like, it wasn't as forceful. And um, Sean Cunningham actually had to tell her to 
um, or he had to tell her how they did it in the films, and it was basically all about reaction and uh, you know not actually physically hurting someone because uh, so she, was, she was going around slapping the other actresses. Yes, basically she's um, <laughs> she had to be told how, yeah she had to be told how to fake a slap. So um, <laughs> yeah, basically she. Um, yeah, she was. Sl- she used to slap people with a cupped hand. So she'd slap them, and it would hit the jawline instead of the actual face. So there was obviously the scene when she's slapping one of the actresses in the film, and it turns out she's actually slapping her. <laughs> so I'm gonna they have to actually, go back and watch that. <laughs> yeah. So they actually, um, they did actually have to tell her, no, that's not how we do it in the films these days. You know, it's like because we could get sued. But yeah. Um, so that was quite cool, but also, uh, yeah, we're also with um, Betsy Palmer. She was only on set for ten days for the entire making of the film, and the only reason that she took the part in the film was because she needed a new car. <laughs> she got for her ten days' work, she got paid ten thousand um, dollars to, and that was it. And the only reason she, or she said, it, it was the only reason she did the film was because she needed a new car. And she actually went on record and saying she read the scripts and thought it was a piece of shit. You, you got you got to wonder how she actually came in to you know to to be the part. Like who chose her? She's a woman that hasn't acted in like you said twenty years at least yeah. in, a, in a major film. And yeah. uh, and they're just like, yeah, that's the one we want. And she's like, oh, okay, I'll do it. Like who who makes that decision though, that they want to pick? They seek her out. Hey, remember that lady that was in this thing twenty years ago? She'd be good yeah. for this. She wasn't uh, the first choice had... though. No, she wasn't. Um, I'm trying to think what her name was. She was an American actress, quite a big lady. Uh, she was in the Towering Inf- Inferno. I'm trying to think of a name. Trying to think of what her name is. Shelley something. Shelley Winters. Winters. Yeah, that's the one. She was actually one of the first choices to play um, Mrs. Voorhees. That's probably too big of a name. They probably had to pay her actual money. Yeah, but um, now she declined it. So that's. Uh, that's the reason why she's not in it. Hmm. Uh, anybody else have anything to uh, talk about in the first movie? I say it has one of the most iconic endings because of him just coming out of the water is beautiful, unexpected, and fantastic for the time, in my opinion. It is classic, yeah. I agree. Because it is one of the most iconic endings for a movie. And I can always remember when I'm watching it, it was a, as a kid, it all shit me up when I saw that. Yeah, I can't imagine like watching it for the first time and then just like watching and watching and she, he just comes up out of the water. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot of negative to say on the first one. I think that one's actually uh, put together pretty well, and it's it's a cohesive story, which is you know more than I could say for a lot of the later ones. So it, it gets pretty positive marks in my books. Yeah, yeah I would say the same. It has a very authentic. Something very authentic about it, because I mean, they shot it at a real camp, a real Cub Scout camp, and it's very naturalistic yep. acting. And I think it's it's a lot less campy and cheesy than the other ones. It's my in my opinion. I I agree. They they took it a lot more serious than than they do in some of the other ones. It, it's a straightforward movie. You know what I mean? They're not trying to pull any jokes. They're not making any inside remarks to the horror genre. It's just a movie. It's telling a story. Yep, and it's a good one at that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's move on to our next one. 
So, following the great success of Friday the 13th, uh, we come up on Friday the 13th Part 2, another great title in the series. Um, this one, they upped the budget up to $1.2 million. Uh, this one was also shot in uh, my home state in Connecticut, just up the road in Kent. Um, was released in April 30th, 1981. This is funny, because they, they still haven't started releasing them on Friday the 13th yet. Like, they, they would just stick it out at any, any any date at this point. And this one actually made a little less than the original. It made $21 million as opposed to the 39 the original made. Um, and this movie obviously introduces us to Jason being the killer. Um, so, so David, uh, what are your thoughts on Friday the 13th Part 2? Well, um, they directed Jason because they needed a sequel, and Mrs. Voorhees was dead. That's all there is to it, and... Pretty much from the start, well, not, not from the start, it's, it's pretty obvious who the killer is, so it, it does lose a bit of mystery well. But anyway, uh, Steve Miner directed this, um, who also directed Part 3, and he also, after this, he directed, um, and, which is, that's part of a trilogy, that's pretty good, and uh, Warlock, which I love, and he also directed Halloween H20, He's done he's done a fair bit of work in the horror genre, so he he's a fairly capable director. And um, again, this this was shot at a different camp. This was another another real camp. Um, it's it's not the same camp as in the first movie in the fictional Camp Crystal Lake. This is a, just right. a different camp on the same lake. Yeah, Crystal Lake is uh, is obviously fictional, but anyways, it's set five years after the first one, and you get this trend of they they put the about five minutes of footage from the previous movie in the front started off with so you kind of get you know going on before you have uh, you, they they bring back Alice from the last movie uh, Adrian King just to kill her off and you see you you don't exactly know anything because it's in this suburbs area or something she sees the decapitated head of Mrs Voorhees in the fridge. You know, get stabbed just like that. Apparently, the story is she she didn't even know about it. Agent didn't inform her. She, she was just born on for one day, and that's it. After that, you got a new bunch of people, and it's basically just a rehash of part one. I watched them back to back, and it's, it's completely obvious it's a it's a remake, pretty much. Really. It is. It's pretty much these, these movies. The next two pretty much rehashes. I just watched them a few hours ago. Yeah, you got the same beats, the same kind of characters. So, so you introduce to new camp counselors going to another camp, and like they again, that is good. So we go to the camp. This is what we're all used to. We got the you know the practical joker guy. Um, we got the girls going to take her clothes off. We got a stock bunch of characters, but it's not like overdone like it is in some of the sequels. They're still fairly realistic, natural, likable people. But anyway, you have uh, he's got the guy with the slingshot, and the camera is like right on the girl's ass, and I think her name's Terry, and you get. You do get some fun in this one. 
Um, and of course, you have the final girl. Yep. Yeah, you have the final girl, uh, and played by Amy Steele. Her name is Ginny, I believe. There's a bunch of other characters I'll, I'll get into later, but anyway, it, we have the fire, the campfire scene where they, he, he, yeah, he's like this campfire legend, which I, I kind of like that the way they did that. One thing leads to another. Crazy Ralph, uh, being a pervert, gets strung up against a tree by Jason. So, so that's a shame they killed him off. But Jason, uh, Jason kills a dog. Apparently, he killed Muffin the dog. But later on, you see the dog man mangled, but he comes back at the end in a dream sequence. So I'm not sure whether Jason actually killed a dog. Yeah, I always thought that was strange as well. Like, like you think he does when it's happening, and then uh, he shows up at the end, and you're like, "Wait, I thought that dog died." Like, I thought yeah, I'll get into that ending uh, coming up soon. But anyway, we got we got two of the teens. We got the, of course, we got a couple there, a boy and a girl. Who, uh, yeah, they go to Camp Blood. They try to get to the Camp Blood, but they stopped. That's where they discovered the mangled dog. Um, then we have that cop chasing Jason. Uh, two, he has this shack in the middle of the woods, which is like this cobbled together, you know, old piece of shack in the woods, and it's yeah, great idea. Yeah, we call that we call that a lean-to. What? Sorry. I said uh, we call that a lean-to. It's just uh, pieces of uh, plywood That's that right. are leaning on each other, yeah. holding themselves up. Uh, perfect. Just, just I love the way it looks. And. Yeah, so the cop gets a hammer in the back of the head. Where do we just go to? Um, leave off to go to the casino. So we left with uh, we got this girl Vicky. She's hitting on this guy in a wheelchair, which is fun. Uh, and the girl killed off screen. You got a few off screen kills. Um, and here you get a you get a double homage to Mario Bava because you have a uh, wheelchair guy gets machete in the face and. Rolls backwards down the stairs. The machete in the face thing is straight from uh, Twitch of the Death Nerve, aka A Bay of Blood, because uh, I just watched it last week, a few weeks ago. And um, after that, you get the double impalement, which is straight from that is definitely straight from Bay of Blood. Of the the two, yep. the couple that are having sex in the bed, just after they had sex, and then they get impaled by the spear. After that, the rest of Vicky gets killed. Uh, you see, you actually see the sack mask for the first time, which is yeah. from the classic The Town That Dreaded Sundown. I think it might have been inspired from that. Then you you, you kind of you follow the same beats as the original. That you have the you have the uh, the final girl Ginny. He returns through the boy band and finds everyone missing, so they go look around, and the boyfriend gets taken out right. somehow. And you have a long chase scene again with the uh, final girl, Jason. Jason um, with a pitchfork and later a pickaxe. Uh, you know, one thing leads to another. Eventually goes back to Jason's shack. Uh, Ginny pretends to be Mrs. Voorhees. And it's when you get the boyfriend come back, they struggle and Jason gets machete in the shoulder. And Mrs. Voorhees, uh, Betsy Palmer, actually comes back for cameo role. Which was good. That's when you get to the ending, 
Which you don't know if it was actually a dream sequence or not, because Muffin the dog shows up, get Jason jumping through the window, and it just cuts to her being put in the ambulance. You don't know where her boyfriend is. And goes straight in, last shot, Mrs. Voorhees, severed head, shrine in Jason's sack. And that's part two. A good sequel. Um, kind of just a rehash of the original, but right. it's just got a short running time and... Yeah, I, I don't mind it at all. No, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of this one. Uh, this, this is one of my favorite sequels. I mean, in the realm of sequels, I think this one is an excellent example of how to do the same thing, but almost do it better than the original in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Like, you know, there's a lot of movies that do the same thing every time. The Friday the 13th is one of those series. But I think this is one of the sequels that actually gets it right. It's able to hit all the right notes, have memorable characters, and have a good time seeing them dispatched in various ways without dragging it out, you know what I mean? Mike Whitmore, I want to bring you in on this one. Uh, what do you think of Part 2? I like Part 2. Um, I think it has a little bit more um, better memorable characters. Obviously, not Mrs. Voorhees, but, you know, everyone else, like, you know the guy in the wheelchair, and, you know... Uh, you know, the chick with the really short skirt, you know, running through in the beginning. Like, you have these little things that you can connect to easily. And plus the amazing, amazing, amazing uh, Amy Steele's in it. And she, I think she does I such agree. a good I job. I 100% agree. I love her in this one. She's my favorite uh, final girl in these movies. Yeah, definitely. And I, I just think I think the, the ending's a little bit better than the first one. Not the very ending where Jason's coming out of the water, but I think the little... Um, uh, Adrian King and uh, Betsy Palmer going at it in the first one, I think it gets a little tiring after a while because she just keeps knocking Betsy Palmer over. And she just keeps I, I, I kind of like that drawn-out fight, though. I think it's like, you know, it's going to the yeah, end. Every time I watch it, every time I watch it, it gets, I don't know, maybe it's because I've seen it so many times, I don't know. But I, I just, I kind of prefer the sequel over first one i think it just it has that presence of jason in his raw form he just has a mask yeah. over his head and he's got a you know like a pickaxe or a rake or whatever he's got and it's just it's just so cool and raw and the ending too where he just comes out through the window and you know it's just so awesome you know i don't know That's yeah, my i was just reading it. an article earlier today um to what uh, david was alluding to um with twitch of the death nerve aka bay of blood and and how this movie sort of essentially ripped off uh multiple scenes from that film and put them in this movie and according to both the directors the writers people that were on set nobody had seen twitch of the death nerve up to that point however there was one producer um that was sort of like a background guy he was a money man he didn't even have his name on the film he was just a guy that put up the money to help make, he made the first four films I think he was involved in. And he was also involved in Twitch of the Death Nerve and getting it distributed in the U.S. And the, ru the rumor goes that this guy is a, a behind the scenes guy in Hollywood in a lot of these sleazy slasher type movies. And that he would sort of make direction to producers and directors to say get this get this thing put into the movie like for instance he was like yeah get this put into the movie where two people are having sex and a spear gets put through them because that was ripped right out of twitch of the death nerve it's like almost a shot for shot recreation of that scene yeah that, that's kind of interesting i never really thought about it uh in that way how there's like one guy kind of pulling some strings 
it, it's, it's very odd. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, uh, I forget the guy's name. I was just reading an article on the internet tonight. I'm, I'm kicking myself for not actually writing some of the some of it down. Um, I didn't even know that it would come up, but it was. It's interesting reading about. But that's a good movie too. If anybody likes any of the Friday the Thirteenth movies, check out Twitch of the Death Nerve, aka Bay of Blood, is what it's usually released in the U.S. as. I mean, I think that's the easiest way to find it in the U.S. anyway. Yeah, when I downloaded it, was, yeah, well, it was uh, yeah, Bay of Blood. Yep. Yeah, Mario Bava, a fantastic horror movie. So it stole a hell of a lot from Bay of Blood. It's just there's way more than just those two kills. It's, oh yeah, no, I I agree. Even the whole the whole idea of like a lakeside country setting with the the murders going on in various ways. It, it, randomly it, showing up, getting killed. Yep, the, it's the gory all, death scenes of the body count. It's all lifted from those things, uh, Bay of Blood especially. That's yeah. that's a that's a big one. But maybe we'll have to do a uh, Mario Bava episode and go over some of his films. That's definitely worth going through. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, that one's pretty good. Um, the uh, the other th- like in the, some of the stuff in part two that I think they actually improve a little bit, even over what's on uh, Bay of Blood, is like when the guy in the wheelchair gets that machete to the face because he's in a wheelchair. It's sort of, I mean, not that it's a written rule in any horror movie, but you almost feel that the, the movie makers are going to have sympathy on this guy in a wheelchair, yeah. and they're going to maybe give him a death off screen. Like, yeah, he won't make it, but, you know, they won't do something horrible. They give him the most brutal kill in the entire movie. It's just like, swap right to the face, and then just let his body drop down the stairs. Oh, it's it's gruesome, and it's, it's one of my favorite uh, kills in any of the Friday the 13th. That's what makes me remember... Friday the 13th part 2 so well because of that guy you know I mean not only like you said he could have got killed off screen but they film you know going backwards down all these stairs it's like the exorcist stairs you know they just yeah. never end and he exactly. keeps going down and down and down exactly. like it could have just been one hit and that's the end of it like okay he's dead don't worry about it audience no they drag it out they let him just do, 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 tumble down all the stairs oh my god it's amazing that's fantastic so, uh, uh, Shane and uh, Fright, you guys have anything else to add to uh, part two? Uh, not really. No, it's I, I liked it, yeah. It's a pretty good sequel. It is a good sequel, yeah, I agree. Although, I have to say, it's been a few years since I've watched it. But yeah, same for um, Yeah, it's definitely uh, one of the more enjoyable sequels. Awesome. All right, well, let's move along. We'll go right to part three. Um, you ready to go into part three, David, or what? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, let's do it. Okay, just straight into it. Okay, um, coming following up the success of part two. Uh, obviously, the um, the filmmakers over at Paramount decided they had to keep the series going in order to make a shitload of money. Uh, so they they kept moving forward with uh, Friday Thirteenth Part Three, um, coming right off of Part Two's ambiguous ending. They sort of kept the train rolling on three, and um, you know, jump right into the film. With uh, the violence right up front, I think. I think even more so than the others. They, they sort of drive this one forward at a faster pace than they did at one or two. Uh, what do you think, David? Uh, the violence? I don't know. I think it's still pretty tame. It's, uh, you do get some good uh, yeah, good kills. I think, yeah, there's, there's a higher body count. There's a higher body count, yeah, than the, the previous two. Yeah, actually, originally it was going to have Ginny, she was going to be back in part three, but it's going to be set in a mental hospital. And you're going to have Jason going through, like, killing all the 
participation is going to be Friday the 13th, uh, Cuckoo's Nest or something like that. That was the original idea for it, but they didn't go for that. They decided to do a whole new story, just get rid of all the other characters, and they decided to make it in 3D. And this was the first big 3D hit of the 80s, and it spawned a bunch of other 3D movies like Force 3D, Amityville Little 3D, and others I can't think of right now. And it's, it's pretty much rehashes the others. You get a recap of part two. And then you go into a disco version of Friday the 13th thing, which is yeah, awesome. I mean, I'm, I'm not really a big fan of disco, but I, mean, I love that thing. Also, the score done, the brilliant, brilliant score by Harry, uh, Harry Manfredini. He's done, you know, this kind of psycho, gives, gives the films a lot of atmosphere, that old-fashioned feel. Anyway, we, we set up, just like the others, we go to the first murder scene, which is before the events of the film. we got a bickering couple, uh, the husband going around doing goofy things like hitting from his own store while holding a rabbit. And this, in this one, we don't actually, we don't actually get the POV. We don't get that once in the entire film. Hmm. They had it in the previous two. They had the handheld camera, the point of view of the killer, which has been in heaps of movies. But in this one, they don't use it. They have Jason kind of like here the creeps around is he in the foreground or the background but that's where you see him so this Jason is also he's played by Richard Brooker and is my favorite Jason of the whole series really I just love the way he plays he's like this creepy oh yeah he's like a lumbering guy a big guy he's just kind of really good at just creeping around and I don't know I just like the way he plays I like his look Makeup effects done by I think Stan Winston did the special makeup effects. They look the best, and you know, he's not he's not a zombie. He's a he's a human being, or kind of a mongoloid kind of human being, but he's still human. So that's why I like this Jason the best. Anyway, you get to the this couple. Uh, the guy is a you know he's on the toilet. He doesn't wipe. <laughs> but he gets a meat cleave. <laughs> No, it's just kind of strange, but he gets a meat cleaver in the chest and the wife gets stabbed through the throat with the knitting needle. You know, I've watched, so this, that movie was a many, fun I watched this movie many, many times. I've never noticed that the guy doesn't wipe. <laughs> That's amazing. So go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> we introduced to the main cast of... And this time, there's no camp counselors because they're not going to camp. So we're deviating a bit from the formula. But we we got the basically the same bunch of stereotypes. We got we got Shelly, who's the prankster, and I, I like that guy. We also we got the jock guy. We got the you know, the girl's going to take her clothes off. Um, we actually we got Tommy Chong in this, or at least someone who looks like Tommy Chong, <laughs> part of the stoner couple in. And, uh, yeah, the van's on fire, the van's on fire. And it's actually this, this stoner couple, they're just smoking weed in the van. Yeah, we have the final girl, of course, uh, played by Dana Kimmel. Who's also in another movie called Sweet Sixteen, which I've seen that, I don't mind. That's a pretty good movie. Yeah. So we have these teens, they get in the van, they're going to uh, 
Jigen Sabin, and they run into this film's version of a crazy Ralph, who's just like this homeless guy on the road. And of course, throughout you're going to get cheesy 3D effects, and it's going to look cheesy unless you actually see it in 3D. Yeah, they're really, they're really. I haven't shoving actually seen this stuff to your face. I haven't seen the film in 3D, so I can't actually say what the 3D is like. But I've heard that it's pretty good. Yeah, the guy gives a warning to teens, just like Crazy Ralph, but you never see him again. So they drive up to Higgins Haven. Anyway, he goes off. They go. They go run into. Uh, Motorcycle gang. He's trying to get with this Spanish chick. In the, you know, the this kind of cheesy motorcycle gang just ran, randomly shows up. I thought that I thought that was amusing. And anyway, so the yo-yo, the yo-yo thing going to the 3D camera, and, it, and he actually he says, "Oh, you're gonna." He actually hits her in the face with the yo-yo. She says, "Oh, that was a close one." And he actually did. He actually hit her. And I, don't, I don't understand that. And apparently, this girl is pregnant. It's, and it's only mentioned twice, but you don't care. <laughs> no, it's not really a big deal at all. Yeah, I do like they breeze right over that. They're like, ah, whatever. That just happened. Yeah. So yeah, I guess Jason kills a pregnant girl. Okay, whatever. Does that count as two nothing's or really one? made of it? I guess it just depends on how long, how far along she is, right? She'd only be like one or, one or two months pregnant because it's not going. So, um, anyway, the motorcycle gang turns up to the house. I guess they were planning to burn down the barn. Uh, the the chick in the motorcycle gang she gets impaled to the wooden beam with a pitchfork. Other guy gets stabbed in the stomach with a pitchfork. Uh, the leader of the gang he gets into a fight with Jason, and seemingly he dies, but he turns up later, of course. Basically, the film you get a lot of just goofing around, you get Shelley's jokes. A lot of people don't like Shelley because you know, they just don't like the character for some reason. I don't, I don't mind it. It's, it's pretty much the same trend as the others. You always got a practical joker in these movies. You know, so you can set up false scares. You have characters going off by themselves. You know, you got usual nudity, characters having sex. And they're the ones, of course, that are going to die. This one, this one does something very different that the others don't do. Is that they actually set up a backstory between the final girl and Jason. Telling the backstory, she's saying that she was in the woods, and Jason like, like did he or didn't he didn't he rape her or just you don't have an idea? And yeah, he like makes... a, she woke up and he attacked her if I remember right. And but I don't know that it was like a rape or anything. I mean, I think like he tried to grab her or something, and she escaped. Look, she she passed out. She couldn't remember what happened, and then she woke up and she was at home or something like that. So that's where I think, hmm, what's going on? This is like a they didn't outright, outright state it, but it just it makes this Jason a little bit creepy. Like a yeah yeah very creepy. Did he or did he need rape her? So, but anyway, I just thought that was that was interesting. So after that, you know, they, they one thing leads to another. They get killed. Shelly gets killed, and Shelly, of course, had the hockey mask. Jason takes it, walks out with the hockey mask. It wasn't set up like this big iconic moment like the remake was. It was just he walks out. Girl mistakes Jason for Shelly initially, and she gets a spear gun through the eye. That's really what the hockey. And there's a big story about why. Why they chose, why they gave him a hockey mask is just, 
think it was just to set up like this gag um, about with Jason, but for some reason he just keeps it on for the rest of the movie. Yeah, right. You don't know why he's wearing a hockey mask. And, um, yeah, you got the couple that are having sex in the hammock. And, of course, this guy is memorable because he's always doing handstands. And the, hand, the handstand guy, of course, he gets slits right through the middle, split in two by a machete. Yeah, great hit. Which would be a fairly painful way to die, I'd guess. So the girl, the boyfriend just died. That's to read Fangoria in the hammock. And there goes blood, and she gets Kevin Bacon-style killed right through there. And then after then, then you see Chong. Tommy Chong gets killed. <laughs> Tommy Chong. Electrocuted. And his, girl, and his girlfriend, fire poker in the stomach. And it's just like, just like the other movies where you have final girl returns with a boyfriend, and they find that everyone's missing. And they say, oh, what's happening? And the boyfriend gets his head crushed. His eyeball flies out. It's the cheesiest 3D effect in the movie. I like it. It's cool. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, the last final girl versus Jason. And you get a long chase scene. She, she actually she managed to stab Jason in the hand, in the leg. So she's not doing too bad. And eventually ends up in the barn. She tries to hang Jason. He survives. The gang leader turns up. And Chris goes, put axe straight into Jason's face. And then, of course, just like the others, you end with dream sequence. <laughs> Where instead of Jason coming out of the water, you get Mrs. Voorhees' corpse coming out of the water. So yeah. I'm kind of wondering, were they planning to bring Mrs. Voorhees back for the sequel instead of Jason? Because it's just like the first one when Jason came out of the water and he came back for the sequel. Or, I don't know what was going on there. but And that's it. It's... I, I like the movie. I think it's it's a little bit cheesier than the previous two, but um, it's a lot of fun. It's a great sequel, in my opinion. The the 3D effects are always a turn off for me on this one. I mean, I, because I I have seen it in 3D, but only um, in a, uh, a a DVD version that came with cheap 3D glasses, like the old school ones, the blue and red lenses on either side, and it looks like shit. Honestly, trying to watch it with that. So it's not even worth putting that on. Um, but I, I thought they were always really trying to push it. It ended up being distracting almost, you know, when you're watching it back in the day on the VHS or even just the regular 2D DVD now, you know? You need, like, That's a special a 3D TV or something. That's a lot of those older 3D movies are, though. They kind of try to do a little too much. Like, in this one, it was just kind of, I think, also distracting. Like, that eyeball coming out or the, um, you know, them passing the joint. <laughs> like the camera. <laughs> that you know what though that must have been hilarious in theaters. Oh yeah. Everybody reaching out for a for a blunt. <laughs> yeah. It's just yeah. That's kind of that's probably the only thing I I personally don't like about the movie. Is some of the 3D effects are kind of stupid. Although I did like when he shoots the crossbow and the chicks uh in her in her face and it just like zooms in on the the, uh, the arrow going in her eye. It's pretty cool. Yeah, fright. You've seen these. What do you what do you think of part three? Uh yeah, th this is actually um probably my favorite sequel. Um, yeah, uh, he gets his mask, you know, for the first time, and um, I don't know. I thought the kills were cool. Um, I actually don't mind the 3D, um, cause it kind of makes him, um, you know, do these cheesy kills and weird close-ups with the camera. I mean, it's it's kind of stupid, but it makes it more interesting. 
Um, I don't know. It's just it's just kind of like the Jason that we know now. It's like you know he's starting out. He's becoming the Jason that we know. And um, yeah, I just I just think it's really cool. Really cool sequel. I like the. I think the kills are. I mean, this is probably one of my favorites as well. This is the only part I don't like is the 3D, but the, the kills are super top-notch. And I think they really started to have fun with it, starting kind of in this one. I mean, the guy I mean, the guy in the last movie, the machete, his face going downstairs, that was humorous. But I think in this one, they kind of really pushed it, especially with, I mean, the chick in the, uh, in the room reading the Fangoria magazine, and she's reading, like, a Tom Savini section. And, uh, like, the guy getting split in half when he's doing the handstand and thrown up on the rafters. You just see his guts and everything hanging out. It's just so fun. It's so much fun. And Shelly, I, I personally like his character. I, uh, I think he kind of relates to me. He just jokes around all the time, and everyone's getting super pissed off at him. But, ironically, he's the one that kind of gives Jason his mask. Out of all the characters, it's, it's Shelly. And it's just so funny. I, I found this one to be a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I can see you guys' point. It's uh, I like that they don't try to take it too seriously. Um, but at the same time, I, I sort of wish they took it a little more seriously. Uh, what, what do you think about it, Shane? It was, it was one of those movies I remember watching years ago that was it, I just found it quite funny. And... Um, as you guys previously mentioned, some of the kills on that were quite classic, um, but definitely the uh, the arrow in the eye uh, definitely sticks in my memory um, as being one of the one of the best kills in the entire film. Actually, I thought. Uh, if I remember right, that was like a spear gun, right? What the hell were they doing with a spear gun at like a lake? Like it's we're not like in the ocean. Like, what are you going to spear with it? Silly bullet. Yeah. Oh, really? For what? I, I think so. I think Shelly brought it. I don't Maybe know. Maybe it's just for <laughs> sparing <laughs> other teens. He was just a weird guy. Oh, he brought, <laughs> he he brought a, a lot of he, stuff. He brings hockey masks and spear guns. He's a yeah. he's a riot. There's <laughs> a plot twist where he's actually Jason throughout the whole series. <laughs> That's funny. Hmm. All right, guys. Well, I don't know about you, but I could use a two or three minute break so I can unload my bladder. All right. Um, so I'm thinking we take a quick little break before we jump on to the next one. That sounds good. Yeah, to pee myself. Okay, everybody back? Yep. Yep. I was just making a cup of tea. Of course you were. Earl Grey, one lump. Oh, oh fuck no. Oh, great. I don't drink that crap. <laughs> I drink Yorkshire tea. And you know me, I tell it like it is. I don't drink that shit. No, I drink um, Yorkshire tea. If, the, if Yorkshire tea wants to sponsor the UHM podcast, feel free to donate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> right. Where were we? Okay. Oh, yes. <clears throat> right when we pick off from Friday the 13th Part 3, the ending of 3, 4 picks right up after it. Uh, this one is actually, the, technically the title is Friday the 13th, the final chapter. They don't add the 4 in, but I think everybody knows it's Part 4. 
Um, this one had a $2.8 million budget, was shot in California, the first West Coast Friday the 13th movie, released in April 13th, 1984. They finally hit a 13. And this one pulled in $33 million, which still didn't reach the mark of the original, um, but was one of the biggest at the time. And I'm a huge fan of this movie. Um, this was directed by Joseph Zito, who probably most people will remember um, right before this film directed The Prowler, which is another one of the greatest slasher movies of all time. Where oh, he good. also he also worked with Tom Savini, who Tom Savini joined comes back to the Friday the 13th franchise in this one and does all the special effects. So um, before he even made the film, um, Joe Zito talks about how uh, he studied the, the previous three movies to make sure that he was going to give the audiences what he wanted. I'm sorry, what they wanted. Um, he was uh, he was also under the assumption this was going to be the last of the Friday the 13th movies. So it, it, when you sort of step back and take a look at it, you have this guy who was, I mean, I wouldn't call him an accomplished filmmaker, but if he's the guy that made The Prowler, he knows how to make a slasher movie. And he still took the time out of his schedule to go back, watch the previous ones, and be like, let me make sure that I'm going to give the audience, you know, what I think they want, as opposed to just being like, I'm going to make this movie on my own vision. He's sort of like, I respect the audience. They made all that. They gave the money to the studio, so I'm going to go back and sort of give them what they're looking for. And I think by a lot of accounts, this is a pretty popular movie in the franchise, uh, you know, of sort of the modern day horror viewers that go back and watch the series part four is often at the top of a lot of people's favorites list. And, um, you know, I, I think it's, it sort of deserves that status with the, with the effort and the quality of talent that's behind this movie. What do you guys think? Yeah. Well, I can agree with you on that aspect, actually. Um, I mean, it's, been, it's well, it's just one of those sequels that I did actually, I think I watched that one more than any of the others, because uh, when I used to hang out with my buddies years ago, it was always horror movies and Friday the 13th, Hellraisers, Nightmare on Elm Street, all that kind of stuff. And this is definitely one of the better ones that sticks out for me. Yeah, it's my uh, it's my favorite of the series, easily, because it's just it's where shit goes down. I mean, the final chapter, it's, it's meant to be this big monumental film, and the kills and everything about it is so good. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's all... It's almost a shame that it didn't end on this one because it, it would have been such such a major statement. And I, I think the series, I mean, it obviously gained popularity by adding sequels, but I think it would have been more of a statement um, if it ended here. You know what I mean? If they like that yep. was the end of the Jason series, it would have been amazing. Or maybe even if they carried on making Friday the 13th but didn't have Jason in them. It would have been something that they were like, oh, the first four were so amazing because it was all Jason, you know? That, and it kind of gets kind of gets diluted with Jason coming back and all the other sequels. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I agree. I mean, they kind of, if they would have pulled like maybe a Halloween 3 with the rest, that would have been kind of cool. But I mean, this ended pretty, pretty blatant that Jason was not going to come back in a way. Uh, and then he just, you know, does. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, and that's why they sort of, when they were making this thing, they went to Savini and they were like, we want to bring you back. You created Jason. We want we want to let you kill him. So, they're, you know, they, they 
brainstormed a bunch of different ways. You're like, what way could we definitively say they wanted to kill him? Originally, he was just going to chop his head off. And the studio was like, no, no, we don't want to do that. Because the studio was even thinking we might want to bring Jason back. So Savini and the crew, special effects crew, had to come up with a way that they could think that the audience will be like, there's no way Jason could come back from this. And I guess like, you know, the machete halfway through the brain sliding down it real slow was enough to get the message across, which even great scene. Oh, I watch, I watched that this week and I I don't know. This maybe is the the 10th time I've seen this movie, maybe more. I don't even know. Still, that is something that when I watch his skull slide down that machete, it you get you get like not queasy but you get like oh like oh my god it's, it's still moving his jaws moving the whole thing is creepy as hell like they went they went so far as to make an animatronic head that the different pieces moved around as it was sliding down to give it that effect it was brilliant it's beautiful i mean it's like he's trying to like struggle but not he can't really struggle and it's it's for an animatronic thing there's a lot of emotions going through him as he's sliding down the machete, and I find it so awesome. Yeah, and I think the, the director had a good point. Um, he, he was sort of looking at it from like a classic monster standpoint, and he's like, sort of what is the... They've tried every way to kill Jason up to this point, and they hang him, and they shot him, and they stabbed him, and you know they hit him in the head with an axe, and none of it worked. And the, guy, the, the director was like, what's the one way you can kill Jason? And he said, if you make him vulnerable... And the way they made him vulnerable was by having, you know, Corey Feldman come down the stairs with a shaved head. And at that one scene when Jason turns around and he sees Corey Feldman, like, looking like a young Jason, it it brings his humanity back for that quarter of a second that, you know, they're able to take advantage of it. And then he's weakened. Then he's back to being a human. He's no longer this unstoppable killing machine. He's like on everyone else's level and that's how they could kill him and i thought that was a really great insight from the director it's it's something that like i didn't notice till i went back and did research for this podcast that's interesting that's, that's very cool yeah i think uh as one of the classic sequels goes i mean it does hit a raw nerve um character wise so uh yeah it is pretty cool but yeah we seem to be digressing um <laughs> Um, the general, I know. Yeah. I skipped. I skipped yeah. right to the end. You just go. We go right there. Jason's dead. Let's talk yeah. about that. No. Yes. Yeah, you're right. And... No, the, rest of, the, rest of the, the rest of the movie is amazing as well. I think this. This is yeah. my favorite. My favorite cast. I mean, there are other standouts in other movies. Like yeah, because I, I mean, you got you got well, you got Crispin Glover in this as well, isn't it? Of you? course. So um, and, a fantastic uh, actor. I love. Who doesn't love Crispin yeah. Glover? Yeah, he's he's awesome actually, um, and obviously you have got Corey Feldman right. as well, which um, yeah, good actor. But you know, I think it, I for me it's like the first time I saw Corey Feldman was in the Lost Boys, so it's uh, <clears throat> obviously because I'd watched the Lost Boys before I watched the Friday the Thirteenth movies. But uh, yeah, I mean, um, it's it's a good story, you know. It, is a, it has got a great story, obviously. Because it take goes straight on from number three. Um, they pick up at the morgue. Yeah, they pick up at the morgue, um, and I've got some got some cool little info here about the film itself. But it's like when Jason is in the morgue itself, when his body's on the slab, um, you see his hand moving 
um, on the slab. It was it was um, unintentionally left in the film because the director himself had called cut, and um, the camera was still rolling. And basically, uh, Jason's hand moves, so they left it in the film. Um, and also, the nurse, um, one of the nurses in the film, as well. She's it's a homage to. Um, <clears throat> no. Um, <laughs> hang on. Oh, shit. No, I know what I've done with it. No, never mind. Yeah, yeah I lost my notes. I lost the fucking plot. Um, yeah, there was one of the nurses um, in the film itself. She's uh, There's a homage to um, a character from one of the first films in it. And oh, really? her name tag. Yeah, her name tag is, is the name of a character from the first film. Um, what, a dead apparently. one or... Yeah, I think it is. Be... Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think it is. Um, oh, she's not supposed to be the same character from the first film. No, no, not at all. But it's just a homage to one of the characters from the first film. I think it was a character or something like that. Yeah, but um, I had it on my I had it on my notes. Yeah, they they do that a lot. I mean, yeah. they do, they do that with like a lot with producers and some of the you know the behind the scenes crew. They give them their names. That sort of happens, and mm. and these throughout the whole series. It's sort of an ongoing. I mean, I don't know if it's a joke so much as it is just something that they do. Yeah. But also, this film, I don't know if you guys know this, but the film isn't actually set on a Friday. Um, no, you, yeah, I know. Uh, neither this one nor yeah. the third, I believe. Yeah, um, this, the, the events of the film take place on Sunday the 15th. No, yeah, right. Sunday the 15th, and it ends on Tuesday the 17th. Um, so it's spread over three days, which is quite good. Also, other interesting little tidbits as well. This film contained the most nudity of the entire franchise at the time. Oh, at the time, uh, yeah. I was going to yeah. say, there are some later entries that, that give, it, give it a run for its money. Um, also, Corey Feldman, a um, couple of things involved in him. He was uh, branded as the meanest kid by, um, one of the by the director himself. So between him and the guy who, <laughs> who played Jason Voorhees... They actually planned to get their own back on Corey Feldman because they he was that irritating. Um, the scene when um, he, Jason grabs him through the window, um, Corey Feldman was under the impression that the gag itself had um, kind of failed. So he was expecting them to do another take, and then Jason grabs hold of him, and the screams that he, he lets out are real. They are genuine screams. <clears throat> Which I, which I think is kind of funny. But also, in hindsight, it is kind of funny because Corey Feldman's apparently a notoriously difficult person to get on with on set of a movie. So, um, yeah, I find that, uh, find that quite interesting. But also, um, the guy, Lawrence Monaghan, um, right. who, uh, I can't remember what his, what his name is in the film. Uh, he, but, he, was um, friends, he was friends with um, uh, Crispin Glover. That's it. Um, yeah. The, the, um, the, guy, the, the computer guy. What is it? Let me put it through my computer. Yeah. Well, basically, um, because he's he was a he tried he attempted method acting for the first time on the set of this film by actually smoking pot when he was supposed to be smoking a joint. <laughs> um, so when his when his character dies, he's smoking a joint. So basically. Uh, what Lawrence did, he decided to smoke a joint before he filmed his scene. 
and was so baked he um, he couldn't remember what he was doing. Um, <laughs> he was too stoned. He yeah, he was too stoned to actually work and remember his lines. Um, <laughs> which that kind of reminds me of um, a few things that happened personally. But yeah, so uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting stories on the set. Um, one one of the ones that I found absolutely hilarious was that at the, when this was being filmed, Corey Feldman was I think uh, eleven years old, ten or eleven years old, something like that. Right. And according to him, this was the first this first movie or he, on set. It was the first time he saw real breasts. And, right. But if you if you watch the movie, there's a scene where Corey Feldman is like peeking through the window and he sees one of the girls undressing across the way. That wasn't where he saw breasts. He didn't. There was nobody on the other side of the window undressing. He didn't see mm-hmm. that. It was when he was like getting out of a car, and there was a scene where like the dog was running up, and the dog ran to some of the you know the the counselors as they as they arrived at the new at the camp, and uh, the girl this girl bends over and she had a real loose fitting top apparently, and Corey fell yeah. out of you right down the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I'm like reading this, and I'm like, "That's what you you admit that he's like, oh yeah, I was totally checking out this girl, and I saw her boobs." <laughs> yeah, it's quite funny. But um, Kimberly Beck, who played Trish in the film itself, yep. she had some. She had a like. Um, she experienced some very strange occurrences while she was uh, while she was filming uh, the film itself, because she kept getting um, strange phone calls. Um, at all hours, all hours of the night, and uh, and she didn't know who it was. And then while she was out doing running, um, she was having a guy follow her and watching her. And as soon as the film finished wrapping, it stopped. <laughs> so she had her very own stalker. Well, that's creepy. Yeah. So, somebody call up Ted White. See what he was doing back then. <laughs> Ted White, Ted White being being the guy who played Jason. Uh, there's there's a lot of yeah. So there, there's a lot of uh, guff he gets from the horror community and a bunch of other people because he he wasn't a big fan of playing Jason himself. In fact, he's been quoted as saying, and I, and I quote from from a book here. I hate to put it this way, but it's the god's honest truth. If it wasn't for the money, I never would have done the show. Referring to the movie. Yeah. Um, so he was basically just in it for the money. He didn't really care. I mean, he was an old school stunt man and actor, and he used to stand in for all kinds of great Hollywood actors back in the in the in the, the cowboy days and the westerns and stuff. And um, he sort of saw it saw it as demeaning to be, you know, this just the killer in a slasher movie. Um, so he he sort of gets a lot of a lot of guff from you know, the horror fans for being like, you didn't love being in this role and blah, 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 blah. It doesn't stop him from going to conventions and asking for autographs and stuff though. You know, he's, he's still out there. Uh, There's, but there, there was some great stories from the set of him because, um, he, because he wasn't really like that involved in the acting or anything. He was sort of on the side as a stunt man and doing stunt coordinating as well because, you know, because that's what a lot of the stunt guys do when they're, when they're sort of not, on camera, you know, he's helping set up other jobs. Um, there was one particular scene where a, a girl had to be um, in the water. Uh, I can't remember which girl it was. Um, it was one of them. She was in a, it was an extended water scene where she was like, you know, in the water at night and had to, somebody would come up and, you know, drag her out of the boat or kill her or whatever. She went, she went for a swim 
And this girl was out at like midnight for hours and hours on end in this like freezing water. I guess it was super cold this one night. And the girls like started crying. She was like breaking down because her body temperature was dropping so much. And it was Ted White actually that stepped in and went to the director and was like basically like is calling this guy a motherfucker, like just swearing him out and being like, you got to get this girl out of here, blah, 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 blah. You can't treat her like that. And the director was sort of being like, no, she's fine. She's fine. Meanwhile, the girl ended up being put in the hospital for like four days with hypothermia after the, yeah. after the shoot finished. So it was sort of like he was Ted White. Jason was coming to the rescue of this girl that was, you know, sort of being hassled by the director at the time. And <laughs> supposedly the director, uh, Joseph Zito, <clears throat> um, was really demanding of his actors in that, like, not that he would mistreat them, but that he would expect a lot from them. And that's sort of not the usual take with the Friday the 13th crew, because a lot of the time, a lot of times they would hire these amateur actors that had never been in any movie. So they don't know the ropes. And a lot of people saw, saw him as taking advantage of these actors or actresses when meanwhile he was just sort of trying to push them. So depending on whose story you get, whether it's from the director or from you know, one of the actors, you you might say that one side was um, in the wrong more so than another. It, it pretty in pretty interesting set tactics. And then when you see the finished movie, you know you don't really feel that you don't you don't get any of that at all. All you see is like decent acting in a Friday the Thirteenth movie, which is a little unusual. So you wonder if maybe his methods actually work. Mm-hmm. And his movies, they're both really pretty well acted. I mean, um, in just in my head, Joseph Zito, the only ones I've really seen, I think, are The Prowler, and pretty much, you know, this. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, it's just fantastic. I mean, especially in Prowler, when everybody's just literally giving it everything, and just, there's little scenes here and there, it's for a different podcast, but it's like, you could tell they're really pushing the envelope with their acting. Oh, I, love, I love The Prowler. So I'm a big fan of this movie. Um, the kills are great in it, you know. And it's, it's not really for their originality. You've got a lot of sort of straightforward stuff, you know, machetes and stabbings. And pretty much the most original one, I think, is when uh, they, they crush the guy's head in the shower. The guy j- has just finished having sex with a girl in the shower. Yep. And then the, gr- the girl leaves. Jason comes in. He's singing in the shower, thinking it's the girl. Jason smashes through the shower glass, grabs his head, and just, like, crushes it into the wall. And you hear this, like... <laughs> like great crunching noise yep. it's, yeah, I, I love that part I love it so much my favorite my absolute favorite kill probably in the whole series is Crispin Glover's I mean he uses the uh, the wine uh, whatchamacallit what do you call it yeah the bottle opener yeah bottle opener right to the head and when Crispin Glover's like what the hell he turns around and gets a machete right in his fucking face yeah that's what, he's, he's, <laughs> what is he he goes have you seen the bottle opener? He's like yelling into the other room, and then all of a sudden you see whap! It comes down right into his hand. It's just, it's fantastic, and I think even though like the first two Friday the 13th films were more on their story rather than gore, I think the third and fourth one are more on gore than story in a way. Maybe in the ending of the final chapter, it goes a little more heavy on the story and everything, but I think the gore in this one is just the best. The best out of the yeah. whole series, I think. Yeah, no, I mean this this one has a, a a pretty good amount of nudity in it as well. Yep. Um, I I think it tops part uh, three. I mean, 
And, uh, I mean, especially with the double mint twins, I mean, that, that counts as, like, double, right? So that's, yeah, that's a whole lot right there. <laughs> um, yeah, there's... I think this one, they tried to really up everything on it. And, and the other part that I really love about this movie, the look of it, I think... I mean, despite being shot in California, and, I, you know, I'm an East Coast guy, so I'm used to knowing what woods look like in the East Coast, it actually looks like it takes place on the East Coast, which is something I can't say for the other, for a lot of the other movies. Like, they, I feel like they made a concerted effort to actually make it feel like it's in the same location as the other movies, and they did a really good job with that. And the movie, it has this clean but gritty feel, you know? Yeah, there's kind of like a dark overtone to the whole thing. Yeah. Definitely adds to it. So, uh, so David and Fright, do you guys have uh, anything to say on the, uh, the fourth one, the final chapter? Uh, no, I haven't seen it in so long, so I really don't remember it much. Oh, you gotta get on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like it, except for Corey Feldman. I'm not a fan of Corey Feldman <laughs> at all. just want him annoying. And just a little kid being in a Friday 13th movie just put me off. That was that was written from the beginning. That was like one of their big plot points that they were putting in. When yeah, they first Jason, started. Jason was it. Yeah, when they were, like, pitching the movie, they were like, all right, we need a little kid. Like, they were like, that's how they were writing it. Like, we need to get a little kid in this movie. And I, I, I don't understand why that is a must-have, but, I mean, I, I'm not going to knock them for it. It was a little different than, you know, what they had been doing in the past. I wouldn't want a whole another series of teenagers. I think he did well in this movie. I mean, he I don't like Corey Feldman now. I think he's a moron, but... This was kind of the days before he turned into all that bullshit. I mean, I thought he was a good kid actor. I mean, Stand By Me, This, Lost Boys, I think he did really well. And I think he did... Yeah, I don't like Goonies. I know I'm going to... Are you kidding me? I know, I know, I know. I know, I hear about it almost every day from everybody. I just, I watched it too late in my life. I watched it when it was a couple years ago for the first time. I just didn't care for it. I know. Are you serious? (laughs) I know. I know. My my estimation of you has gone downhill drastically. (laughs) All right. It's alright. I just, oh man, I don't want to get into that because it's for a different discussion. But I, I like, <laughs> I like Feldman in this. I mean, he's not the douchebag he is now, and he's just a little kid, and I thought he did super well for being a little kid in this kind of movie. Well, that was a great revelation, Mike. Thank you very much. Your credibility's <laughs> been decimated. <laughs> yes. <Okay. laughs> no, I'm joking, but, uh. I know, I know. No, I, uh, I always liked Corey Feldman as a child actor. I mean, I never really saw anything um, that he's done as an adult that even halfway impressed me. I guess maybe the best thing he's ever done as, as an adult is the, um, the Tales from the Crypt movie with Dennis Miller, which was terrible. Um, oh, Bordello of Blood. Yeah, Bordello of yeah. Blood, that's it. Yeah. Dennis Miller's best movie, by the way. <laughs> that's how far he's gone. So, um, so yeah, I th- I think overall the final chapter is a uh, is a success I, in terms of what they were going to do and what what came out of it. I really like that movie. It's it's one of my favorite Friday the Thirteenth. Not to mention maybe just one of my favorite slashers. You know what I mean? It's a great movie. Um, so with that, let's uh, let's move on to part five. Of course, they couldn't keep Jason down for long. 
Um, they after the this after that one made a ton of money. They said, "Okay, we have to keep moving forward with this. We're going to make another film." Um, Friday the Thirteenth Part Five: A New Beginning had a two point two million dollar budget, which is an increase from the previous one. Again, was shot in California. Was released on released on March twenty second, nineteen eighty five, and this one pulled in just about twenty two million, which is the lowest for the franchise so far. Although, in in the scheme of things, you spend two million, you make twenty two. It's still considered a massive success, so it didn't deter them from making more movies. It just wasn't as big of a movie as the previous. Um, this one draws. I mean, I think this is safe to say that this is the most controversial Friday the 13th film amongst fans, because this is the one that doesn't have Jason in as such as that Jason's not the main killer. Sorry, spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen this movie from fucking 1985. The the majority of the film, the antagonists in it, or the antagonist, I should say, rather, uh, is is actually uh, a background character who they show for exactly two scenes uh, prior to his reveal as the character, as the killer, I mean. I- I'm not a huge fan of this movie, and it's not because it doesn't have Jason. I'm not a fan of this movie because it's a terrible fucking movie. Um, I mean, the... Uh, the, the, what you can see from, from Frank Mancuso Sr., who's the CEO of Paramount, he says, it was our sincere intent for the final chapter be the, to be the last film of the series. And then, of course, it had a huge opening success. So we had to rethink it all. So it's like they made this only for the money. They weren't trying to, like, make a point with it or make a statement. They had made a ton of monies. So they were like, let's go forward and make more monies. It, it, it's insane. The, the biggest gripe I have with this movie is that the characters in it and the ones that are killed off, there's absolutely no development for them. They're just random people show up, they're murdered, and they're gone. Like, you don't feel a connection, you don't feel any terror, you see somebody show up on the screen, you're like, who the fuck is this person? And then they're dead in the next scene. So it almost doesn't matter. So on this one, uh, I definitely wanted to hear from uh, David and fright and sort of see what do, you, what do you guys think of part five a new beginning i don't i don't like this one uh yeah it it, it doesn't have very good kills uh i don't i don't like the the reveal of the the killer um they have a lot of annoying characters especially that guy in the beginning um yeah it's i i just don't like it um i love it you love it <laughs> yeah if you're gonna go full camp, just go full camp, and just go full parody, and that's what they did because it's part five, and I don't give a shit if Jason if it's not Jason because it's basically Jason until you find out at the very end, and it's just hilarious as hell. You got those just crazy characters, um, and it's just entertaining as hell. It's just one of those like it's like a so bad it's a good movie like Troll Two or something like that. So I love it. See, now, I could agree with you on the so bad it's good quality. I mean, I, I can see sitting down with a group of friends, uh, you know, having a few cocktails and, and watching this and having a good laugh. Um, but, but, I mean, 
the the whole character thing drives me insane because where the other movies really set up these characters and you sort of get backgrounds on them and you have multiple scenes on what what their interests and goals are the ones that are in this movie like there's there's the group of the the beatnik guys that are wearing leather jackets and their car breaks down and then Jason just kills them and you're like okay I don't know who those were then there's the guy who like does coke off of the mirror while he's waiting for his girlfriend to come to the car and then Jason kills them and, and and then there's there's like four. I mean, even even the kids that are in the um, what do you call it? I mean, is it an asylum? Like, or is it just sort of like a home for wayward kids? I'm not I'm not really sure what they were going for on that. But the the kids that are that are in the in the asylum, they don't give them any background as well. Like the the there's one guy who seems completely normal and a girl that he's banging. They go off in the woods, they bang, and they get killed. I don't know what their motivation is. I don't know what kind of people they are. I know nothing other than that that one guy got into a fight with uh, with Tommy Jarvis in the beginning of the movie, which is one of the most hilarious fight scenes of all time. Tommy Jarvis picks him up and suplexes him through a table randomly. Yeah. Like, the guy comes in and starts talking to him, and he's just like, but suplex! Yeah. But the... Um, I don't understand why they wouldn't develop the characters at all. I don't know if that's something that was cut out of the movie or if they never even put it in. I'm not. I'm, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Just I, I because there's no development. Uh, just everyone. Just who cares? You know, it's like they're all annoying and just be done with it. Just kill them all. Who cares? Yeah, this this one actually has the highest body count of all of them up to this point. And it, it sort of harkens back to that that quote that I had at the beginning, with um, with Sean Cunningham, where he's talking about like how the gore is very numbing, and it's not about you know what you show on the screen; it's about the tension you build. I feel like there's no tension built in this movie. It's just like a series of scenes of people getting killed that I don't care about. So it's like just okay, let's keep moving forward. Here, like what's going to happen next? I will say this, though. It, it, the movie's on an entire loss. There are some characters I do like. I do like the little kid that's in this movie. Um, I think he actually does a much better job than even Corey Feldman did uh, in part four. Um, I'm blanking on his name right now. Reggie something? Reggie? Yeah, Reggie, that's it. Reggie. He th- that, that actor did a really good job in that, in that part. And, which is saying a lot because, you know, to be a little kid actor, I feel like he was the one I connected with most when I watched the movie because I felt he was the only one that I actually knew. He's there visiting his grandparents. He's not a psycho. You know, he doesn't do anything to harm anyone else. He's he's interacting with all of the characters in the movie, which even the main, the quote unquote main character, Tommy Jarvis, he doesn't interact with everybody in the movie. Only the little kid does. Yeah, uh, he was a, he was a cool character. I liked him. They should have focused more on him. Is kind of what I'm sort of thinking of. Like maybe not even had the Tommy character in the movie, but I guess they wanted some connection to get from part four to part five. Yeah. Originally, they want the the plan was. I mean, if you see part four, the end of the movie, after Corey Feldman hacks up uh, Jason on the ground, they they show the hospital. And then, like, they, they show one clip where his sister's hugging him, and, and it, he gives this, like, creepy stare into the camera that freeze frames on him, sort of insinuating that he's a psycho now. And um, in this movie, they have Tommy Jarvis, the same character, and Corey Feldman in the beginning, coming back, 
sort of in a dream sequence where he sees Jason coming back to life from the grave. He wakes up, and he's an older Tommy Jarvis, maybe a teenager in his early 20s, being driven to a mental hospital. And it's implied that he might be the killer, but I feel they don't build that up at all. Like, there's no... You're supposed to give, like, a red herring and show that maybe Tommy did this, you know? Maybe they should have... If they had Jason kill somebody with Tommy's knife that they showed early in the movie, you would have been like, oh, that's Tommy's knife. I saw him take that out earlier. Maybe he's the killer. They never did any of that. There's no implication that Tommy is the one going around killing people. So they, it's, it's as if they wanted to set up this sort of false whodunit thing, but they never even really tried. And at the end, they just said, oh, it was that guy we showed in the beginning. Everyone remember? And then everyone's like, what? No, I don't remember that. That was the most inconsequential scene with the ambulance driver. I don't remember the ambulance guy, like, even being in the movie if you're not paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> David, if you, you like this movie. What, what, what do you think about the reveal at the end with, um, with the ambulance guy? Do you think that it was more hearkening back to the original with Mrs. Voorhees? Or, or was it just, like, shoddily thrown in there? Yeah, I, I do think it was a homage to uh, Mrs. Voorhees. Um, so it's, no, not out of place at all. Um, you think not, not being set up very well? Killed. Yep. Well, maybe it wasn't set up the best. But, I mean, it's not really the greatest movies anyway, so I don't really care too much. Yeah. The, um, the, the one part of the movie I, I do like, um, as we mentioned before, Harry Manfredini does the score of most of these movies. This one, he returns to it. And and um, like David had mentioned in the uh, the part three one where he does that great like sort of disco take on, on the score in the beginning. Um, he turns it more to like this 80s pop thing that's going on in this one. And I, I think it sounds really great. The, the, he also takes a lot of cues from sort of um, TV dramas that are on at the time. I mean, you, you watch like these like hour long TV shows that were popular in the day and they sort of have this like, I, I guess you call it a suspenseful, drawn out 80s synth thing going on whenever something like intriguing happens. It's like, they do the same type of thing in this movie. And I, th- I think it works perfectly. I mean, some some would say it would like it dates the movie, but I think that's good. I think you know when this movie takes place and when it was filmed because of the way it sounds. I, I, that that's one of my favorite parts of this movie is the way it sounds. I think he did a really great job on this one. It's the last time they used the, the classic score, also. Really? Um, yeah, because um, you hear the same the same themes in the in the first five movies, but after that they stopped doing. Doing it, and just only you only hear the kikiki mama theme, and that's it. You don't get that those other uh, musical notes that Harry Manfred. I don't think he did the score after this. Oh, he might have done one more after this one, but that's it. Yeah, I think he might have been. I was just reading on one of them. I was doing. He was a collaborator, and maybe not even you know doing the fight, doing the score, but more you know, given, I think it might have even been Jason Goes to Hell that he, like, helped out on. I, I read something on it that he was interviewed on. But, um, but yeah, I, I, this one I really like the music on. I think this is actually, I mean, it's, it's, it's stupid, something to pay attention to in the Friday the 13th movies, but I think this one is my favorite music out of the first five, <laughs> which sounds dumb, but 
I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm a child of the '80s that it really it draws me in. I don't even remember any of the uh, the music, so I don't I don't really know what to say about that. I'll tell you what. If you watch it again, which maybe I don't recommend because it's a pretty terrible movie, but if you watch it again, it's something you'll notice. You'll pick up on it mostly because I told you to. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, um, another part of this movie that was pretty interesting: the nudity in it. They so they had. Um, they'd originally planned a few nude scenes to go in the movie. Um, they removed one of them because I believe they found out the actress was underaged and they, like they recorded it. They had it all ready to go and they were like, Oh, wait a second. This girl's 15 and they nixed it. So they, uh, so instead they, ex- not that they extended, but they filmed more of the, the girl that has sex with her boyfriend in the woods Apparently, the director of this movie was another one that came off of making softcore pornos, and he shot like 40 minutes of pornography in the woods of these two like faking sex scenes. And there's only, you know, there's only like 30 seconds or so of it in the movie, but it's uh, apparently it got pretty ridiculous with multiple positions and like all kinds of stuff that never made the film. And you're thinking like, why did this guy make this? And the rumor is that um, the producers got saw the footage coming off the dailies, and after the after that first daily set was done, they were like, "Oh my God, what did we do hiring this guy? We can't have this guy making pornos. Like we need," they said, "We need to make this as tame as a Pepsi commercial." When instead they had like this hardcore, I mean, I won't say hardcore, but you know what I mean. It's this like graphic full frontal um simulated sex scene that was supposed to be on for like 10 minutes i thought that was pretty funny that it had to get knocked down to almost nothing obviously by the um by the ratings boards and this is one of the movies that apparently the it gets criticized a lot because the gore and the kills are rather lacking apparently they were ramped up and uh, supposed to be very violent, and I don't know that an uncut version's ever been released of this. I don't. I, I never really looked into looking up any uh, uncut scenes, you know, on the internet. If there's anything out there, anyone ever found anything like that of Part Five? No. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, there's there's rumors of it that there's like a lot of like extended gore, like of when the guy gets his head crushed with the belt that's tied around his head and. The, the kills that were show, that were off screen, like the guy that was doing coke in his car and his girlfriend, apparently those were really gory and one of them had like a lot of nudity in it and they cut all that out. So it's, it sounds like it got chopped to pieces by the censors and the producers. And um, I mean, it, it maybe that's part of the thing that adds to making this film feel really disjointed. I don't know. Yeah, it sounds uh, like it. Uh, I, I'm just not a big fan of this one. I think I, I think this is one of the worst of the series, really. It's it's a big down step from four, and I think even compared to you know two and three. I mean, I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of three. I think three is a good movie, but I'm not going to be singing its praises. But I I think this one is really subpar compared to the rest that had come out so far. Yeah, I, I have to agree. Um... Jason Goes to Hell is the worst, but this is like the second worst in my opinion. <laughs> well, we'll have to talk about that later. I get some opinions on Jason Goes to Hell. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, Mike and Shane, you guys got anything to say about five? Nope. <laughs> I, I cannot stand this movie. I think it was just terrible. I think this was kind of the first film they took the direction of, like, a lot of the kills are off screen. Um, the first four movies do a really good job of showing a lot of the kills on screen. If a machete's going through a guy's face, you see it going through the guy's face. And now, starting from this film on, the, the gore lightened up a lot. Not, you know, I mean, to a point. I don't know if you get what I'm saying, but it's just... No, no, I, 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 I fully understand you. I mean, apparently a lot of this stuff was shot, and it was very gory, and it got cut after the fact, whether it was the producers or the censors or what. But um, but no, I the, the finished product, I agree, is, it's terrible. Like, it just doesn't... It leaves you... I don't, even, I don't want to say wanting more, because you definitely don't want to see more after you watch this. You watch one of these movies... I mean, you watch part five, you're like, I don't know if I want to watch any more of these things. Yeah, exactly. It, it doesn't give you too much hope. If you're, like, marathoning these and you've never seen them before, I don't want to watch any after that one. I mean, it's it's just really overall, it's just a, a bad movie. It, that's all there is to it. This is like a movie forgettable. that, like, yeah, like, like say, uh, say I was showing these to my girlfriend who's not huge into horror. But if, if we were doing all the Friday the 13th, I would probably skip this one because I know we'd get to it and she'd be like... She'd stop it right there. She'd be like, that's yeah. it for this. I can't take anymore. It's a waste of time, in my opinion. I like, like, you know, my girlfriend hasn't seen any past four. If I show her five, it's, I, I kind of think it's what's the point. It doesn't really yeah. do anything. See, I do the same method on the Rocky movies. Like, I, Rocky five never exists. Like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, it's just yeah. one through four and then six. Yeah. Yep. And then I guess the new one of the Apollo Creed, son. Which I heard is really good. Yeah, I heard it's really good too. You gotta see that. But you, you skip five, same thing. Just five doesn't yep. happen. Thank you for listening to UHM's podcast. Join us on Facebook and please visit our main page at upcominghorrormovies.com. We'll see you next time.